0: Welcome to The Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. Hello, my friends. Thank you for being here today. What a world we live in right now. What a world. I hope that this podcast has been a balm for your soul during this time and has inspired you. And I know that this particular interview with my good friend, Pastor Lisa Kopansky Harmon, will be a source of healing for you too and inspiration. I met Lisa almost exactly a year ago at our Denomination's General Synod, which is our national gathering that happens every few years. And Lisa came to a workshop I taught called Thawing the Frozen Chosen, which is about how we can bring movement and embodied practices to our worship communities in easy and non-threatening ways. And Lisa and I just had an instant connection. She serves A beautiful community in Billings, Montana and is such a powerful leader in that community and I have been in awe of her work and I think you will be too when you hear more about it. Lisa is the Minister of Healing and Community Transformation at Billings First Congregational Church and is a yoga instructor including teaching trauma-informed yoga to incarcerated women at two different facilities in Montana and you'll get to hear a little bit about her work there and what it means and the healing that it brings to people. The work she does in this world is really amazing and so rooted in a theology of love and justice. I know I am walking away from this interview feeling inspired and in awe. And I know you will learn a great deal and leave feeling the same way. So without further ado, I give you this powerful interview with Pastor Lisa Kapansky-Harman. Hello Lisa, how are you doing?
1: Well, thank you, really well. Happy to be here and join you today.
0: Thank you, thank you, me too. I'm wondering if you can start us off and just orient our listeners and tell them a little bit about who you are, where you are in the world, and and what your ministry is.
1: Oh, you bet, thank you. Um, Well, I'm Lisa Harmon and I am a pastor at Billings First Congregational Church and I was called to Billings First Congregational Church in 2017 as the Minister of Healing and Community Transformation mm. and licensed through the United Church of Christ uh, Montana-Northern Wyoming Conference, uh, which is a conference of about 27 churches in Montana and the Northern Wyoming region, and was amid a member in discernment with the Montana-Northern Wyoming conference, and just recently, after about two and a half years, sat for my ecclesiastical council and passed that. Um, So I'm very excited to say that I'll soon have an ordination uh, celebration and service. So um, that's that's a little bit about who I am Um, in terms of my ministry. um, I was called to the church um, after a, a. period of discernment in my life. I was the executive director of the Downtown Billings Alliance for about 12 years and managed mm-hmm. three nonprofits and really had been thinking about entering uh, the ministry, which has been a lifelong call for me. Mm-hmm. And so I began a discernment process and that included getting my 200-hour uh, certification for yoga and then my 300-hour certification for yoga, just trying to just use embodied spiritual practices away a way as a means of discernment for myself, you know, calming my body and my mind um, so that I might hear the voice of God. Mm. So I entered that discernment period and then became a mid and my ministry really has always been about community, I would say my whole life. And
0: Beautiful. That's wonderful. I wonder if you could say a little bit about the embodied spirituality piece. I know people who know me also know that dance and movement are a huge part of my ministry and what I do. And I know that's a huge way I connect with the spirit. So I'm wondering if you can say just a little bit about that, how you connect to God through movement.
1: Absolutely. When I think about embodied spiritual practice, I think about Jesus Christ and Mm. how Jesus's whole life and ministry is one big embodied spiritual practice. And it's, pretty incredible. And so for me, that is something that I try to emulate in my life. My embodied spiritual practices of yoga and meditation and chant are really an opportunity for me to move closer to God Mm -hmm. and for me to be in a less distracted dialogue than I might have if embodied spiritual practice was not a part of my life. And I just, I really feel like we are spiritual beings and physical beings. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that there is been over time a disconnect between our physical and spiritual selves. And I think embodied spiritual practice allows us to kind of participate in life in that realm on the spiritual and the physical level. And so that's why it's just so important to me. I teach yoga out of the church as well. So that's Mm -hmm. really been
0: incredible. Absolutely. And I think for me, the way that people disparage the body often breaks my heart because Jesus, like you said, was incarnate. He was in His His body. He was God embodied here on earth. And when I think too about even the resurrection, he came back in his body. That's part of what the resurrection is. And I think a lot of the work that I know that you do, especially in trauma informed yoga is about helping people almost reincarnate themselves, get back into their bodies, reintegrate. And that is really holy and healing work.
1: So true. You know, trauma can create this numbness in the body. And so when we are moving our body, we are sometimes some folks might be able to work out some of their blockage and uh, some of their trauma by movement. And I think of my work in the Montana Women's Prison. It's just an incredible ministry that I'm able to be a part of. I am changed by these women, and and I am hoping that what I am able to share with them brings them a sense of belonging back in their body. it is not uncommon and I'm sure you've experienced this Kelsey for lots of tears to flow when people start that long journey of oneness back with the body and back with the spirit where you know spirit resides in our body and yet we are punishing to our bodies mm-hmm. we know that we try to look a certain way or be a certain way and it's it's violent towards our body in a lot of ways mm-hmm. so I think that's um I think it's it's holy work when we can integrate the body and the spirit and the mind And I do believe, again, that Jesus Christ really got it, you know, and shows us the way of embodied spiritual practice.
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I think, too, I want to touch on two things you just said, because for me, some of my favorite passages to pull out, especially when I'm working with women, is all the times that Jesus leaves the crowd and goes to pray. Right. Especially around Christmas time, I often pull on those verses and say, it's okay when it gets chaotic and busy and things are crazy and you have a million moving pieces. Jesus embodies this practice of you can go up on the mountainside, whatever mountainside it is for you, if it's your bedroom, right. if it's <laughs> right. up, like whatever that is, it's okay to, to go and pray because Jesus did that too. Like if God needs a moment to go and pray and rest, so yeah. do you.
1: So do you, right. 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 You know, I recently talked about threshold spaces and Jesus shows that goes Mm -hmm. into those threshold spaces, kind of, you know, connecting deeply and isn't reactive. Mm. It's not reactive. And I think that's a beautiful lesson as well that Jesus models for us and something I need to learn. Mm. <laughs> sometimes we all do better. I say sometimes I've been in a threshold and I ran, you know, <laughs> rather than standing and just taking a breath and meditating and praying. You know, if I'm in that threshold in a space where I can meditate and pray generally, I can hear the voice of God. I can mm. hear the divine and um, I can start seeing the Holy Spirit moving.
0: Yeah, it's that from... Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think too, as a movement person, I used to push against that notion of be still, but I have really found that both stillness and just meditation, but also in movement meditation, as a dancer, as a person who does yoga, oftentimes the movement is what allows my mind and my soul to find stillness.
1: Absolutely. And I also think that we don't go through life on a meditation cushion. (laughs) <laughs> we just don't. And so we can't just say it's one or the other, right? But we are embodied um, with the, the gift of God resides in us. And uh, so we are to move in the world, perhaps in many, many different, different ways through many, many different gifts and attributes that we all have. We, we are not to live life sitting on a meditation cushion. So we have to know how to move in the world too, right? Right. And so, and then there's that beautiful piece of what it is to be in your body and be liberated. In that, because I would say, especially for minorities, for uh, for women, the way we move in the world and use our bodies. I mean, it's just not that long ago and it's still ongoing that people are shamed for wearing yoga pants. I mean, mm-hmm. we remember that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's it's a real shame that we introduce this concept of shame around the body. And so that is another reason why it is so great to um, have people feel, you know, this liberation in moving their body in ways that they want to move their bodies. Certainly not being prescriptive, but being guiding people to move their bodies. And I'll never forget I, you're going to get a kick out of this because at Synod I took your class about movement mm-hmm. and just last night um, taped with our pianist um, Spirit of the Living God Fall Afresh on Me and I, so I taped what you taught me at that class so oh. know, just trying to get movement into um, our lives even across screens, right? Mm-hmm. Our, yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I appreciated your class.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to touch too on the the thing you said about, um, Jesus being the way. And I, I heard someone say, and I wish I could remember off the top of my head where I heard this, but someone was saying that, you know, when you feel lost or like you're wandering, Jesus is the way. Like when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, like when you aren't sure where to go in your life or when you are struggling, Jesus is the way like you can look to him for that guidance. And so I think when we talk about healing of the body, we can look to him and say, okay, this is the way, like get into my body, listen to his teachings, and he will show us a way.
1: Absolutely. You know, I'm always thinking about the life and ministry of Jesus as being, as showing and pointing to the way. And then, you know, of course you touched on resurrection and, you know, Jesus rising and embodied and, um, but I also think about some of the last words, you know, that that Jesus said in some of the stories told um, in the gospels of he was forming community as he was taking his last breath. Mm. For me, it's hugely powerful that when it, Jesus, when I think of Jesus being the way I think about us being in community and that that is, that is what God desires for us is wholeness in who we are as a body, physically, mm. you know, Cassie, yeah. Lisa, um, and also as a body in Christ, as a community, and that that um that would be top of mind awareness as well. And so, man, those are those are just beautiful to me and inspire hopefully the work I do going forward.
0: Absolutely. Well and I want to touch on that because in a TEDx talk you gave a few years ago, you said that you believe that the reason you are here on this planet, on this earth, in your body is to build community. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. And I know you mentioned the phrase placemaking, and I'm hoping you can share a little bit about what all that means for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Placemaking is really about looking at a space and thinking about what the assets are of that space and then thinking about the environment as well around that space. What is the community that is around that space? What are the aspirations of that community? What's the soul of that community? And taking those things together and making place, making spaces that are relevant, that serve community, that seek to knit and bring and form community together. And so it's very exciting work. You know, at our church, we have a little teeny pocket park. Mm. A pocket park is like this space when you're walking in an urban city and you turn the corner and there's a green space. It's almost like a little surprise. It's like Mm. something tucked in your pocket and it's a pocket park. And so we looked at it and we talked with the downtown about what they needed and they need green space. And so here we have it. So we entered into this partnership with the city and we resurfaced, got grass, got sprinklers. But what we did was, as we have invited the native community into the church for a broad space for them, and that is part of placemaking. Can we make broad spaces for community life and conduct? You know, how can we, we be relevant to our community and meet the needs of the community? So the garden we planted has sweet grass and sage. It has herbs. It It has all kinds of things in it, and some of those things are used for smudge um, for our Native American community that celebrates their culture in our church, Mm. and so it's a really, really neat thing. So that's one thing that I continue to do with the church is looking at that big space that back in the day, Billings First Church had over a 1,000 members, and then the city grew and grew, and grew, and churches, you know, were popping up everywhere. And so the membership of the church is quite small now. So how can you repopulate and repurpose your building in missional ways?
0: Beautiful. Can you talk too about, I feel like there's a difference between churches who are are inward looking and then churches who are outward looking and i feel like what you're describing is an outward looking church like how can we find ways to serve the community find ways for the community to serve us. and there's this beautiful ebb and flow and i'm curious how that has benefited your church how have they moved into that what has the congregation experienced as a blessing from all of this
1: definitely huge blessings. Um, You know, how can we, when we talk about um, blurring the line between the church steps and the wider community, and that's really what we want to do. And that's something that Reverend Mike Mulberry used to be my co-pastor, and I learned so much from him, and he talked about blurring that line. And so we are a church that definitely has said that that's who we want to be. We want to open our doors, not be so inwardly focused. There was a time when that church was I believe. And it was many, many years ago. And so we're definitely a church that is outward looking, but also wanting to say that Can we be that space that has a continuum um, and offers a continuum for community, especially around some of our killers, I would say, of the Native American community and those experiencing life on the street?
0: Beautiful. How do we give churches the courage to go about this? Because I know there are a lot of churches who want to do those things, but there's some tension there and they're wrestling with it. And So how do we give churches that courage to take that step, like you said, to blur those lines between where the church steps end? End and where the community beyond those church walls starts
1: you know I think it has to start with a lot of generative conversations mm-hmm. I mean we are congregational and covenantal and so we we move in step you know with our um, church councils and with our congregation and hopefully our associations and conferences that are supporting us. And so, I mean, I really, I don't think it can be where a leader or one leader goes off and, and just does this work. You know, it really does need to be supported by the congregation. And I think, you know, Kelsey... For me, when I think about community, I think that there's great liberation found in community that you, Kelsey, are a part of my liberation and I'm a part of yours. Mm-hmm. And if we think about things in those ways, I think that those decisions become easier. So we really have to talk about our core values as a church and our non-negotiable you know, beliefs going forward. But we all know, we all know that God intends our wholeness mm-hmm. and our wellness. And for me where community is not well in my community is a place where I need to work.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how we use our suffering to ease the suffering of the world. You shared a quote in something you wrote once by Viktor Frankl saying that um, suffering ceases to be suffering when it finds meaning. And I'm curious if you can share what this has meant for you in your life? How do you connect this to your faith and how you move in the world?
1: Absolutely. Let's see, how shall I even start that? That's so huge. Um, Mm -hmm. Suffering ceases to be suffering when it finds its meaning. I went through a period in in my life of great suffering, and I've had many. Uh, It's not unique to just one time, but I went through um, a divorce and bankruptcy. And I mean, just really, really, stuff. And I was just in the darkness and it was so painful. And I was blessed to um, read Victor Frankel's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And during that time, and I just really locked on to that quote, suffering ceases to be suffering the moment that it finds meaning. Because some things, Kelsey, just don't make sense. Some things just don't make sense. And I could not make sense of some things in my mind. I'll be honest with you, in those dark nights of the soul as they're called. Mm. And it's a really strange thing to say. Am I worthy of this suffering? Mm. And what it meant for me in that time, I I can't say what it means broadly or be an authority on that line, but what it meant for me is the gifts that I learned in being in that space were tremendous. They were fruits of the spirit for me, um, it has informed my ministry going forward. Um, having suffered, like I said, several and many things in my life, um, it just is kind of, um, wow, forged a heart in me um, for my work that I might um, be able to understand and um, and lead in certain ways with certain sensibilities going forward. And it's because of the suffering.
0: Absolutely. And I think as people of faith, what the suffering of Christ teaches us is that no suffering goes without use because for me, I think one of the things I hear people struggle with all the time is, is why, why do I suffer? Why does God allow for this? And I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I don't believe that God causes all the suffering of the world, but I do believe that God uses suffering that God in the way that we can use suffering to help heal the world. God uses suffering to help heal the world.
1: Sure. I mean, there are things that are revealed to us in those those dark moments, um, and they can be very fertile, right? But you know, for some, I don't think it ever makes sense that suffering, especially <laughs> when you work and you you work in um, all kinds of different scenarios and um, and with different populations. You know, how do you make sense of systemic violence and genocide? And you know, you can just go on and on and on and how does that make sense? you know, for people. I certainly don't know the depths of some of that. I'm a white woman in America. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have to be careful um, and, and thinking, you know, oh, your, your suffering just needs to find its meaning. It's really not that. Some things we'll never understand. And sometimes I've understood too, in the face of evil, that I don't know what my response should be. Mm. We, ha- we can have a response as people of faith. Yeah. We're called to have a response as people of faith. And so that I get, but when we are talking about the one-on-one of trauma and abuse, it can be very difficult to navigate that for people. So for me, how can I be a source of healing and of modeling the way of Christ um, and also communicating that, gosh, you are loved. You are loved by Creator and, um, and that Creator
0: intends things for you right right and I think too it's important to say that so much suffering is man-made right we cannot say that God caused X Y and Z that no. you know the this especially the systemic injustice and oppression that happens around right. the world and and now in the United States especially there is no place for me to say that this comes from God it is opposite of God and I remember a woman named rodessa jones who she's an activist and and works in prisons around the world and she invited i took a class from her on dance and social justice and she pushed us and said you know you can't say that the devil doesn't exist unless you've really looked the devil in the eye and she said so many women of color and people of color have looked that in the eye and that changed me hearing her say those words changed me and, and I needed to hear them. Yeah,
1: absolutely. No, I agree a hundred percent. And so I, I don't pretend I have my own experiences. And so I, I just want to, again, you know, be in community and be that source of healing for community. For me, a, a sin is any act of violence against community. And so I just, um, I just want to be present and, you know, again, be changed by those I work with, um, because I think that's what it's going to take. You know, Kelsey, I think we need, we have a long way to go for the spiritual transformation that we need in the world.
0: Right, right. And it makes me think of that Psalm, create in me a clean heart, oh God, Mm -hmm. and renew a right spirit within me.
1: Mm -hmm. Beautiful.
0: Right. Yeah. And I love the way you put it that sin is anything that does harm to community. Yeah. Because if we listen to what Jesus says is the main commandment, the primary commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Then, Boom. Right. Boom. Yeah. Right. Drop the mic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And then those cardinal sins are the ones that do harm to community and do harm to who God calls us to be and created us to be in this world as as siblings. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Beautiful. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about theology and wedding cakes. I know you have a really unique (laughs) (laughs) outlook on theology and you connect it to wedding cakes. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I had a moment um, recently with the word theology. Well, it was when I was right, getting ready for my ecclesiastical council and my good colleague, Reverend Mike Mulberry, and I were talking about theology. And he said, you know, the theology needs to have integrity. And, um, and so I said, gosh, it kind of sounds like cake to me. Cake has to be like sturdy Mm -hmm. and have structure. And I make cakes and cakes just really, they have to be sturdy and you have to use quality ingredients and they have to kind of bind and form, you know, kind of like community. Mm -hmm. And, and you can, when you have a sturdy cake, you can build, you know, incredible creations. And now, you know, taking it further and just talking with you, you think about all those shows, right. With all these cakes that, you know, have like Ferris wheels on them or whatever, (laughs) you know, I don't know what they are. They're all moving dinosaurs. And stuff. I mean, you You can't have a flimsy cake you can't Mm -hmm. have a flimsy theology you have to have you know these things that are, are are just rooted in in creator and rooted in the way rooted in christ and in the holy spirit
0: I love that. And I think too, it should feed you, right? Like your your theology, a good theology will feed you and it should be delicious.
1: (laughs) Right. And it should delight, right? It should delight for sure. I mean, there's so many things that you can, you can take with that. And then, you know, you kind of think about how, you know, if I gave Kelsey a cake, a base of a cake, what would she do with it? How beautiful would she pipe rosettes? What would you do? Would she take chocolate and make little things? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, can you imagine? And that's how, that's our diversity coming out, right? So we've got our base of our theology and then to decorate it and adorn it. Oh my gosh, is the fruits of the spirit. So I just love that concept.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, it not only feeds you, but feeds others. It makes me think of, um, I recently got married back in September and our sister-in-law made our wedding cake and it was just the most stunning, beautiful cake I had ever seen in my entire life. And she had gone out into the yard of her Airbnb and picked plums and all sorts of little things that she decorated with the cake. She used our baby's breath that we had from the wedding and some roses and the people we got married at a, at a camp, a local camp in Montana. And
1: I know (laughs) it was, it was so
0: beautiful. And, um, the, the owner of the camp or the director of the camp, I should say, um, told us the next day that part of why they started the ceremony a little bit late was because, our sister-in-law was finishing up the cake and they said she was nursing her three-month-old baby while finishing those last little touches <laughs> on, on the cake. And there's oh so God. much that goes into it. And, um, no,
1: there's so much. And you know, that was your sister-in-law, sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. That was her expression of her, her love, right. And yes. her beauty right there for you in that day. And it's just, it's an incredible thing. Really, truly.
0: Yeah. I think of that. I can't remember exactly where it is in scripture but I know it's something that Jesus said about being like if you imagine a, a coffee cup or a coffee mug and maybe it's white on the inside but then on or white on the outside but on the inside it's stained and he's talking about integrity what is on the inside should be reflected on the outside
1: Absolutely, and I think about that for church, you know, mm. especially right now, Kelsey. You know, uh, church is different, right? But we mm. are the church, and we are, you know, sparkling through screens and such. And we are still the church in the world. So, what does that mean? And how do we? Oh my goodness, how do we grow and change in these times? Right, that we right. are called to grow and change as uh, people of faith and as Christian church. And God is still speaking, right? And we know this. Right. We know this, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And so we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged even in the midst of heavy things that we go through.
0: Right. Oh, absolutely. I want to ask you about the book of Ruth, because I know this is a a favorite book of yours and the story of Ruth and Naomi. And I'm curious if you can share with us just what the story is for those who might not be familiar with the story and also how it connects you in terms of the work and ministry you do and how it connects to community building.
1: Oh, absolutely. So the book of Ruth opens with a widowed Naomi. Um, having lost her husband, and then a uh, short time after that, her she lost her two sons. Her two sons were married, uh, one to Orpah and one to Ruth. And these are now three women, you know, without, and we know in that epoch, in that time, uh, to have a man meant security, um, meant safety in a lot of ways. So here is Naomi, Ruth and Orpah, and Naomi, says we've got to go we've got to leave uh, Moab where they were and go back to her homeland of Judah and so they start to travel. So right away we see Naomi making a decision, you know, leadership decision and she's an elder and she's thinking, you know, I'm informed by my ancestors and my wisdom and we're going to we're going to move. And so while they start down on the road, Naomi stops and says, I don't know what the future's going to hold. I don't know that I'll be able to provide for you. I think you should go back to Moab. Orpah and Ruth, you you should go back because you have a chance to have a new mate, you have a chance to have a life and and a community being from Moab um, that they were. And so Orpah returns, she goes back and Naomi, excuse me, and uh, Ruth says, I'm not going. And Naomi says, "But I can't offer you a son. I'm I'm too old. If I mm. even had a son today, um, by the time he grows up, you know, you uh, you wouldn't wait that long. You couldn't wait that long. So you you should go back." and And uh, Ruth just declares her steadfast commitment and her steadfast love to Naomi, and they continue on. And I just think it's this beautiful. Uh, manifestation of the feminine divine. Uh, first of all, Naomi making that leadership decision and then Ruth saying, I'm with you. I'm going to stay mm-hmm. with you. And uh, I, I really think it speaks to the heart of God in terms of steadfast love and right relationship. And then the story, you know, moves along and it becomes um, about justice as well. And so we've got this really strong theology, you know, in this story um, that is absolutely beautiful. They end up going to Judah and Naomi and Kirk is Ruth to um, get work with uh, the third character that comes on scene, Boaz, who is actually a kinsman and a distant relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And so Ruth does, as Naomi instructs and she goes and starts to work behind the field workers to try to find work and food. And sure enough that she's, she's noticed, she's noticed by Boaz. And of course, back in that time, it was a beautiful thing that would happen is that when there were workers in the field, they would always invite others who might be marginalized and on the margins of society to come along and pick up any grain that had dropped or harvest that had dropped. And so, you know, Ruth does that. She eventually exerts herself. She exerts Mm -hmm. kind of in, finds her way into relationship with Boaz and Boaz, you know, really um, acts out of character of the time in a patriarchal, hierarchical society. He welcomes Ruth. He says, sit at my table, break my bread, drink from Mm -hmm. my same cup. I mean, so you've got lots of things going on in this story. And I just think it speaks to the heart of God, steadfast love and right relationship, righteousness and justice. And as we see, Ruth and Boaz have Obed, who has Jesse, who then begets david so i mean it's an incredible story about people from other people from other places mm-hmm. who are actually you know just um, our ancestors that were um, showing the way and the way that they do it is just brilliantly and beautifully
0: oh i love that and i love the way you put it that it's the people that we often label as other who end yeah. up showing us the way to life
1: that's right. That's right. And that's what's so great about that story. There's some stories, of course, you know, in the Bible where we're just like still trying to make sense of them, right? For mm. some of us who might be women, for some who are persons of color. And then we have this, this story about women mm. <laughs> leading, leading the way from outside areas leading the way who are lineage. I praise
0: God for that story. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. you. Can you share just, uh, so one of the foundations of this particular podcast is to talk through theology that hasn't been life-giving and try to find how it can become life-giving. and to, to shift our perspective in that way. And so I'm wondering if you have ever experienced a piece of bad theology and how have you reconciled it? How have you found something that, that gives life instead of takes it away?
1: You know, so for me, bad theology is one that would perpetuate violence Mm. towards community. Bad theology would exclude, would oppress. And I think that, um, there are many examples. I think Um, Of course, some of those ones that, you know, working in the the realm that we do at our church, I think of, um, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, and how my heart breaks for people who think that they should be ashamed of their sexuality or their sexual orientation Mm -hmm. um, or their gender preference. Our sexuality was not created in shame.
0: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go into, into our final questions, I'm wondering if you could share, um, what gift do you feel you bring to ministry, particularly as a woman, or maybe not particularly as a woman, but what, what gift do you bring to this realm?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I hope, um, no, I don't hope I bring innovation, Mm -hmm. I really feel like I bring innovation and I think I bring a sense of um, empathy and Mm -hmm. compassion. I love to uh, inspire Mm
0: -hmm.
1: teams um, and I love to learn from teams. And so I think that's one thing that is a gift as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So to wrap us up, I have seven questions that are rapid fire and you can Uh answer them. um, However you feel called just off the top of your head and first it's similar to one we've already talked about but if you could untangle one piece of bad theology for everyone forever what would it be
1: that your sexuality you were not created in shame
0: Mm. thank you and what do you love about jesus
1: his embodied um spiritual life and practice and ministry so much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite verse or story in the Bible?
1: My goodness. Um, I think, you know, we hit, we touched on Ruth and that really is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And the other is in, um, the gospel of John. Um, and we talked about it, Kelsey, when, um, Jesus is on the cross and, um, some of his last words said were about forming community and being in community and, and how that speaks to who we are, not only in, um, you know, our families. I have, you know, two sisters and a brother and I have children in that moment. Jesus redefines family. Mm. If you think about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is huge. I think that that just speaks about, you know, stepping across, you know, man-made lines and boundaries or uh, woman-made lines and boundaries about defining who family is and who community is. And it blurs those. And, um, that is a really a favorite thing for me as well.
0: Yes. Yes. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask?
1: Oh my word. Um,
0: I know no pressure (laughs) it's a big question
1: that's a big one Um, I think I'd I think I'd um, want to have a conversation um, about the Holy Spirit I am just the wonder and the mystery of it all Um, I think that I would ask questions about the Holy Spirit
0: yeah yeah I know when I teach confirmation that's the one where I get tripped up sometimes, you know, I can answer God and I can answer Jesus, Jesus right. okay, but the Holy Spirit, Spirit you know, is I,
1: just, Yeah, I think that there is, um, I, I just hope that that is just a lifelong dive for me of learning about mm. the Holy Spirit. And, um, I, uh, what, what, what I know already excites me, but man, oh man, to, to talk to God about that would be incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The way I, I have found best is I light a candle usually and then i blow it out and i I ask them after you can't even see the smoke anymore do you smell it nice and that's that's for me how i understand holy spirit it's this thing that we can sense i can't necessarily see
1: I call it the firefly in my soul mm. that's just all lit up and, you know, on the move. And so I, I think, yeah, I think it would be questions about the Holy Spirit.
0: Beautiful. But I don't
1: know that I can wrap my my mind around, you know, the fullness of it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What is your go-to comfort food at the moment?
1: It is um, Ben and Jerry's almond milk ice cream.
0: mm Yeah. That sounds good.
1: <laughs>
0: and what do you know for sure, Lisa?
1: I know that I'm loved and held and I'm a beloved child of God.
0: Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Okay, last question. What is filling your well?
1: What is filling my well? Um, well, moments like this and connection with with community in all the myriad of ways that we're doing it now is really f- filling my well.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much, Lisa, for being here today, for sharing your ministry and your gifts with us and, and such a good word that I think so many of us need to hear in this moment, in this time. Thank you for what you're doing in the world, especially in Billings. Oh,
1: thank you so much. This has just been incredible and an honor. Thank you so much, Kelsey.
0: My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries. And you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.